following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, I want to welcome you again. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're guests with us, uh, welcome. We are together stepping into uh, some, some exciting topics here in 1 Corinthians together. Uh, specifically, we're stepping into chapter 14 together. And as we did this, I wanted to let you know where we're headed over the next three weeks. So this week, followed by the next two weeks, we will be in 1 Corinthians 14 together. And uh, we are calling our time together, how's this for a title? Prophecy, Tongues, and Order. Parts one, two, and three. All right, so we're over each week, we're going to look at some, we're going to work through some important topics together. Um, and some topics that might be unfamiliar and let's just be honest, some topics that as you heard me tell you that title, you say, I'm uncomfortable with that. That's okay. We're going to walk through these things together. Specifically, as the title would suggest, um, we're going to look at prophecy. We're going to look at what the Bible says about the gift of tongues. And, and listen, I know that we are a diverse church. And what I mean when I say that is I know that uh, we are a group of people who come from a variety of backgrounds. And we come from a variety of traditions, perhaps. And some of you hear that I'm going to be talking about prophecy and tongues, and you say, boom, yes, finally, I'm in, can't wait. Others of you hear me say that, and you're like, well, I want to be here just because I'm curious. What on earth is he going to say? Others of you, though, hear a title like prophecy, tongues, and order, and you say, nope. I'm going to sign up for children's ministry the next three weeks to make sure that I'm not in that. I know that we come to this, and here's what I will say about this. Um, very few of us will step into this conversation neutral. Very few of us will step into this conversation completely neutral when it comes to these things. And... Um, I get that. I, I, listen, I myself have a bit of an interesting background when it comes to some of these things. And I, I understand that. But let me, let me just be really loud and clear with what we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks. We are not going to be about trying to further any specific tradition. Our goal is not to put down any particular background that might be represented in this room. I'm not interested really in any of that. What I am interested in doing is over the next couple of weeks, coming to this and taking God's word very seriously and what God has told us about these things here and allowing that to shape our understanding as well as our practice in the church for his glory and for the good of the church. So that is where we are going. And you're going to hear this on repeat. This is our authority. God's word 
is our authority. And I believe God has us here for, has you here for a reason and has our church here for a reason. I'm excited as we step into this. Now, here's what I want us to do before we get into um, chapter 14 specifically. I want us to lay some groundwork. Uh, More specifically, I want to do two things. First, I want to address some assumptions that you might have. As I said, we don't walk into this conversation, most of us, neutral. So I want to address some of the assumptions that you might have walking through this door. And then uh, secondly, I want to give and set out for us a really important clarification that's going to lay the groundwork for where we are headed. So let me first start with um, assumptions. As we think about spiritual gifts, let me just cut right to the chase here. As we think about the gifts that we call, quote unquote, miraculous spiritual gifts, what's been called the sign spiritual gifts, gifts such as uh, prophecy, tongues, healing, miracles, and things like that. There are a couple camps that are uh, familiar Uh, there are a couple camps that as you walk through this door, whether you knew a title for them or not, you're probably going to fall in one of these camps. And it's important for us to identify these together because here's the reality. We walk into this with a great deal of grace for one another, knowing that when we walk through this door, we're, we're sitting in a room right now, brothers and sisters who might have had a different experience than us. We celebrate that, we praise God for that, and, and, and so we, we ask, uh, I ask for grace as we step into this. But it's important for us to know some of these, these familiar camps. And I want to start with the first one. There's a group of people who fall into a camp known as cessationism. Big word, but it means exactly what you would think it would mean as you look at this word. This belief is that the spiritual gifts, especially the sign gifts, such as miracles, healings, those kind of things, have ceased. That they are no longer in operation, in use in the church anymore. Now, there are a wide variety of people who fit into this, this camp. Um, But by and large, here's the idea, that after the death of the apostles or after this was finalized and we have God's word, um, that the need for these certain gifts have ceased. That the work of Christ, that the work of the Spirit in the church has taken away the need for these gifts and that they are no longer in use today. For example... We read stories all throughout the New Testament, especially in Acts, my goodness, where we see apostles walking down the street and people are just boom, healed, boom, healed, boom, healed, 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 healed. We see this going on. We read about this in scripture and then we look at our experience in the church and we say, something's different. Something's different. We don't see these things We acknowledge that we look around and the way our churches function seem very different. We read this text about tongues and prophecies that we're about to read. And a cessationist will will recognize this activity as no longer being the norm for the church. As it was when this scripture was written, 
It's no longer the norm for us today. Something has changed. These gifts have ceased. Now, let me be very fair here. Not many cessationists will will stand up and say, God cannot act this way anymore. Like, right? No, a cessationist is not going to stand up and say, God will never heal. Not anymore. Those days are done. uh, A cessationist is not going to stand up and, and deny that God still works miracles. That's not what we're saying. What a cessationist will say is, is that they will argue that this is no longer the norm for the church, that these gifts are no longer active in the church. Um, that is this camp. Let me move on and show you the, uh, another camp that I will call continuationism. I may, we made up that word, so just don't look it up. It means exactly what you think it would mean. Um, and that is, as you guessed, that the spiritual gifts, the ones we are specifically the ones we're talking about, have continued. They have not stopped. They have not ceased, but they continue. Uh, they continue on. This is the belief that all the spiritual gifts that we read about in Scripture are still in use and practice available, given to the church for the glory of God, for the good of the church. Uh, given to us by, uh, according to the Spirit and in His will. Now, let me be very clear. There is a wide variety of people in this uh, continuationism camp. And uh, you're, you're going to meet people who call themselves charismatic or Pentecostal, for example. Using these titles, though, are not all that helpful because they mean so many different things to whoever you ask. There is no consensus on what these things mean. Let me give you a real clear example of this. Um, How many have ever heard of John Piper? Okay, a good portion of us. How many have ever heard of a man named Benny Hinn? Okay, good portion of us. Both of these men call themselves charismatic. How's that? If you know these men, you know, woo, they are worlds apart. Uh, but, but here's the reality. They both call themselves charismatic. So when I use the word charismatic or Pentecostal, I know that it could mean a host of different things to different people. So for our sake today, I'm going to use the term continuationism because hopefully that doesn't have any baggage because I made it up. Um, a continuationist believes that all gifts are in existence today. Not only that, but that all gifts are normative in the church. That is, that they are available and that they should be seen in the church. Not only that, but all gifts are um, expected to be seen in the church. Right? If the Bible says that this is how the Spirit works, then we should expect that the Spirit should work like this. There's a belief here that, that, look, the scriptures have not told us that God said, nope, not working like that anymore. We don't have that proof text. And so we look at this and we say, obviously, God still continues to work this way. Now, again, very different people, different camps are represented in this, in this broader camp. Um, let me show you the extreme example of this camp. Uh, Pentecostal, what is traditionally called Pentecostalism. Not only would these gifts be normative, 
but there's a belief that every believer should have them. And if you're a Christian and you're not operating in these gifts, then there's something wrong and you need to fix it. You need to fix that because because God wants to work in you through these gifts. Along with this, there can often be an elevation of certain gifts, such as tongues and prophecies that come from this camp. Not all. Again, this is broad strokes, but some. So some of you, I know, come from a wide variety of backgrounds. We step into this place from from a wide variety of backgrounds. Again, we don't approach this neutral. So as we think about this, we have cessationism and we have continuationism here. And I would bet, and actually, I know this to be true because I've had the privilege of talking to some of you, that as you hear both of these camps presented to you, there might be many of you that says, you know what, I don't really feel at home in either thing that you just talked about. There is ickiness in both, or I can't get myself to either one of those. And so some of you might hear this and you think, there has to be another way. Has to be, there has to be another way. There has to be a middle option. Between the red light, all gifts are done, and the green light, all gifts are a go. Boom, go. All systems go. There's got to be a yellow light. I believe there is. And many, many others do as well. So I want to propose another way. And um, as I say this, you might hear this and think I'm crazy. I love you. (laughs) I mean, it's okay for you to be wrong. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) Remember, we talk about these things with grace, right? Um, You're free to be wrong. But I want to propose another way that's a little more central to both of these camps. And I want to call this camp cautious continuationism. Others have so endearingly called this charismatic with seatbelts. I like that. It's the yellow light. This is the belief that not all the spirits, they haven't ceased. More specifically, this is the belief that as we search the scriptures, we don't see God telling us that he has stopped working through these gifts. We don't see that. So there's a belief that, that it's not that the spiritual gifts have ceased, but, but at the same time, there is an understanding and belief that most of the ways, most of the ways that we see these gifts in operation today are neither biblical or helpful. There is an acknowledgement of abuse, and therefore there is this urging us to be cautious with these things. As I hinted at, to put on seatbelts when we are dealing with these things, to proceed with caution. In other words, there's a desire, a legitimate desire to see God, to be open to all that the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God might be doing. If God is in this, so am I, and so are we, and so should you be. But having said that, there's also this desire to see the Spirit do his work in the way that he told us he would do it. 
charismatic with, with seatbelts. And that seatbelt is scripture. Let me say it again. That, that seatbelt is scripture. One more time. That seatbelt is scripture. It is scripture. And that seatbelt is really important. There has absolutely been an abuse of spiritual gifts. You cannot deny that. This abuse has lasted for thousands of years. The reason I say you cannot deny that is because 1 Corinthians was written to a church who was abusing their spiritual gifts. It's been abused before. And we look around and, and it's given us this pause. But hear me. There has been abuse, but the answer to abuse is not abandonment. It's correction. The answer to misuse is not disuse, it is proper use. So we proceed with caution, and I'll call this cautious continuationism. And listen, I know, again, we come, we're a diverse church, different backgrounds. I love you. You are welcome here because, like I said, we are this, not any tradition. Um, but the reason I want to begin here as we step into ver chapter 14 is because, again, we're not neutral when we step in. And I want us to wrestle with this, our assumptions early as we work through this text. This text. The second thing I want us to do is... Um, Real briefly, I want to set out a clarification that is greatly going to impact our time over the next three weeks. Um, listen, do you believe that this is the word of God? All right, I want to hear it louder next time. Do you believe that God has inspired this? Yes. That was awesome. Do you believe that God communicates through this? Do you believe that this, that in this we have all that we need to know for life and for salvation in Christ? Do you believe that? And let me ask you one more question. Do you believe that God is up in heaven right now? Thinking to himself, oh, I forgot to say that. Kicking himself, going, oh, if only I was more clear. If only I gave them more information. If only I was a better communicator. No. <laughs> that is my boy. Of course not. We believe our God speaks. We believe he has spoken. And more than that, we believe he is a good communicator, meaning he has given us all that we need for life and salvation in Christ. He's given us all that we need. And I say this because this is so important because here's our tendency. You and I are going to have this quirky little desire to fit things into neat, clean categories with neat and tidy definitions. Don't judge me. I know you. I know you're feeling this. This is going to be our tendency. We're going to want to, 
we are going to want to say more than what God has already said. We're going to want to fill in these gaps. And when we do that, our assumption is, God, I'll help you out here. I know you really meant to fill that in, and I'll fill it in for you, right? Our tendency is going to be to want to, 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 to desire definitions and, and clarity and categories and a, a firm list of all of the possible gifts. And here's, we're all going to face that tendency. But hear me, the lack of quote-unquote perfect and clear um, clarity and biblical definitions, when it comes to things like prophecy, for example, what we're going to be looking at today, the lack of perfect and complete categories. Um, I don't even know if you realize this, but we don't even have like one text that gives us a perfect and thorough list of all the gifts. We have five texts in the New Testament, and none of them have the same list listed. Some of them overlap. Some of them are different. That's intentional. God did that on purpose. God did that on purpose. And we have to say that because we believe God is a good communicator. I want to give you a quote by a pastor. I love this. He says, God wants us to be open to anything God chooses to do in this area, talking about spiritual gifts. But he leaves us clear parameters so that we know when it's him doing it. That's beautiful. We know when it's him doing it. In other words, God is not happy when we try to create our makeshift boxes and say, nope, that's it. This is how we, God um, doesn't appreciate when we tell him, you know what, this is what I think you meant to say. Because again, he is so clear on giving us boundaries, parameters, or should I say again, seatbelts. Seatbelts. So that there's order, so that he is glorified, and so that the greatest good happens in our churches. So, let's be content without all of our definitions, and let's fight two tendencies. First, the tendency to want to say more than what God has said in his word, and then second, the tendency to want to say less than what God has said in his word. All right. That's my intro. It was really long, but we're here now. We've arrived at 1 Corinthians 14. Would you open with me to 1 Corinthians 14? This morning, we are going to be looking at specifically talking about prophecy. You ready? <laughs> not, even a, not even a nod. All right, let's start with verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially especially that you may prophesy. All right, just to state the obvious here, um, Paul is encouraging us to pursue love and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, including among these gifts, especially included among these gifts, is his command for us to desire the gift of prophecy. So prophecy is not a dirty word. In the church, it is something to be desired. Notice I said desired, not worshipped. Desired. And this is kind of a fun fact. I said there was five 
uh, places in the New Testament where it lists out for us spiritual gifts. Well, there is only one gift that is listed in every one of those five occurrences, and that is the gift of prophecy. Paul is focusing here, this is something to be desired. But notice in our pursuit of prophecy, Paul continues to emphasize our, that it should come from a place of love. It should flow from love, not a love for ourselves, but to build each other up. Then he says, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue, not to men, um, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. And he utters mysteries in the spirit. All right, hang on to that. We're coming back to this next week when we talk about tongues. But for now, I want us to notice the distinction that Paul is making. Specifically, the contrast Paul's making here. In verse 2, tongues are spoken to God, not to man. Because no one around you can understand what you're saying. This is kind of obvious. So if I were preaching in Mandarin, I don't think any of you know Mandarin, it would not be useful for you. As simple as that statement just said, that's what Paul is saying. No one understands him. Now, in contrast, listen to verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Do you hear Paul giving us seatbelts? Notice Paul does not say here in this letter, guys, here's how you define prophecy. Prophecy is fill in the blank. He doesn't do that here. Instead, what he does is he says, look, church, here is the outcome of prophecy. Here is what prophecy does. It build, upbuilds people. In other words, it strengthens the church. It encourages people. It consoles them. In other words, it comforts the body. This is what prophecy does. The gift of prophecy is for God's glory and for the common good of the church to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort each other in love and in Christ. These are the seatbelts that Paul gives us for prophecy. Buckle up. Those are your seatbelts. Then Paul continues to say, the one who prophesies builds up the church, builds up. This is edification. Paul is so clear on this. So often we fail to see prophecy like this. We forget to kind of snap in our seatbelts here. Um, look, we might not have a full and robust definition of prophecy. I would argue we don't. We don't have this full and robust definition of the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church, but, but let's talk about what we do know. Here's what we do know. We know enough about prophecy to know that prophecy involves us speaking. No brainer. Let's start there. It involves us speaking. It involves us sharing a message, but prophecy is more than that because it's not just our message it's not just any old message that we choose. No, we are talking about the message of God. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but 2 Peter, 
1, verse 20 says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, listen to verse 21, for no prophecy has ever, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The reason I read this is because this is God's message. This is God's message, not not ours. This is God's message spoken through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is. Again, to strengthen, to build, to comfort, to edify the church. So to state it more clearly, I know the Bible doesn't give us a clear and robust definition. I'm going to give us a baseline definition of what we know. You ready? Prophecy is proclaiming God's message for God's glory and for the good of the church. Amen. Amen, right? If you want to argue that, let's do it. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Prophecy is proclaiming God's message for God's glory and for the good of the church. This comes in the form of preaching and teaching, what I get the privilege and the joy of doing right now. But that's not all. It's seen all throughout the body. When we speak God's truth, God's word into each other's lives, when God leads us to say the right thing at the right time for his glory and for their good, when God gives us the gift to know, hear me, when God gives you the gift to know how to apply God's word to a specific situation, that brings him all the glory and that edifies and strengthens and comforts the body. Praise God for that. Encouraging each other through God's word. This is so needed in our church. This is so needed in our church. Listen, I hope that we have more of that in our church. We need more of that in our church. I pray, I desire for that here. That is prophecy for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Now, having said that, I am fully aware that some of you might be here and be like me, and that hasn't exactly been your experience with the term, the gift, the idea of prophecy. Listen, this is close to home for me. And there, I have seen an abuse of these gifts, of, of the gift of prophecy. I'm sure some of you have as well, but listen, um, Let me give you a few quick and easy examples. There's the classic Christian guy's pickup line. Hey, God told me to tell you that you were going to marry me. Guys, if you use that one, shame. I hope it worked, but shame. In fact, I'll expand that and and say, anytime you hear the, hey, the Lord told me to tell you, any thus saith the Lord statement that isn't them just going, you know what, thus saith the Lord, and reading scripture, that should ping your radar. Here's another easy example. Any, all of the ongoing predictions of when Jesus is coming back. So God told us, hey, no one knows. No one knows the day, the time, the hour. No one, no one knows. Yet there is always someone claiming that they do. I don't know why, 
It's always out there. These are a few easy cases. And in, right off the bat, the seatbelt of Scripture is going to help us. To help us know what fits in the boundaries of what God has revealed and what is outside of the boundaries. It's going to help us correct some of the misuse and guard against some of the abuse. Now, will we be able to catch it all? Unfortunately, no. God tells us in his word that that there is going to be false prophets in every age that are going to seek to mislead God's people with lies. We know this in scripture. And we know that this is the plan of the enemy to mislead. In other words, there may be things that sound encouraging and strengthening and comforting, and they just might be straight up false and unhelpful. But listen, for anyone who has seen prophecy abused, for anyone here who has seen prophecy hijacked, it's easy for us to go from that abuse and to simply walk over here and say, no, thank you. It's cleaner. It's safer. It's easy for us to say this isn't worth the risk. Um, that can't be our response, church. It's like someone who has an eating disorder, um, someone who struggles with gluttony, and prone to just abuse food. The answer to that abuse is not disuse. The answer to that misuse of food is not starvation. The answer is to bring ourselves back into a healthy relationship with food. Is food is given to the body for its good, for its nourishment. In the same way, church, prophecy is given to the body for its good and for its nourishment. Our call is to bring ourselves back into a right relationship with it not to turn our backs on it. Now, for a moment, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5? From where you are, just go right. Six books. If you hit Colossians and Philippians, you keep going. If you hit the Timothys, you've gone too far, turn around. Um, but this is an incredibly important text about prophecy in the New Testament church. So here's what I want to do. I want to be very practical this morning. And I want to give us some really practical takeaways, some really helpful and practical questions when it comes to the gift of prophecy in the church. I want to give you some questions to ask, both in the giving and in the receiving of prophecy in the church. So let's start in verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. That is a reference to the way the Spirit works in our lives and the life of the church. And Paul says, look, don't you dare quench that. And then he continues and he says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. Instead, verse 21, but test everything. 
and hold fast to what is good. Okay, church, we're talking about prophecy in the church, the spiritual gift of prophecy in the church. We are called not to despise it. We're called not to despise its use in the church. In fact, Paul has already told us we should desire it. We're not called to despise it. Instead, we are called to test everything. And I want you to know as your pastor, that's not only my job description. That's not only my job to test everything. Your elders here are not the only people that are tasked with the responsibility of testing. Now, is that part of our job description? Yes. Are we called to do this and to be faithful to this? Yes. You're not off the hook, though. We're not responsible for this alone. So we test everything. We hold fast to what is good. And how do we do this? How do we test? Listen, I want to I look at a few tests, a few parameters, a few seatbelts, if you will, um, as we think of prophecy in our church today. And I want to give you a few questions for those of you who are on the giving end and for those of you who may find themselves on the receiving end. All right? Let me start with the giving end. Here's one question that I think we need to ask ourselves. Am I speaking for the Lord too lightly? Am I speaking for the Lord too lightly? By this, I mean we should avoid the thus saith the Lord trump card unless we are reading from Scripture. Then use it. We should guard ourselves not to, not to claim authority, God's authority, not to claim to claim his authority when we speak. You may feel led to talk to someone. You may feel led to encourage someone. In that case, church, go to them. Say something like, I feel the Lord might have led me to say. Don't speak for the Lord too lightly. That leads us to some negative, negative places. Unless, of course, you are reading scripture. You can go to someone. I think God might have put you on my heart. God has... I think brought you to my mind. I've been praying for you. Wonderful. This encourages, it edifies, it strengthens the church. But church, please let us reserve the thus saith the Lord statements for when we are reading his word. Second question. Is what I am about to say connected to scripture as much as possible? This is deeply connected with the first question. We have God's word literally revealed to us. Prophecy should come from this, this scripture as much as possible. We should connect it to scripture as much as possible. You could come up to me and say, hey, thus saith the Lord and give me something. Give me a word. And if it's not tied to scripture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you. My radar is going to be going ding, 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 ding. But if you come to me and say, I want to share God's word with you, and let's pray for it to, to move in us and guide us. You know what? I will listen to you. And we should listen to each other. It's the power of God's word. And God has given us his message and his word. And let's start from here when we desire to hear from him. I'll say this and then I'll move. Sometimes we rush past God's revealed word to try to get a word from God. Stop it. All right, I gotta move. Third, 
Third question, am I using this gift for God's glory or for my own glory? This drives to the purpose of our gifts. This drives to the heart, to the motives. Your motives matter. Are you wanting to prophesy, to make yourself look good, to make much of yourself, to build yourself up? Just don't talk. If you feel that in your soul and your spirit, catch yourself. Because the gifts of the spirit are always to bring glory to God, not to the one with the gift. Is this a status thing? Is this a thing where you're looking for recognition in your church? Say, hey, I'm the guy with X gift. If it is, don't do it. God has given us these gifts according to his will to make much of him for his glory, to make much of him in in our world. And we are to operate in this gift like the other gifts for his glory. Last question I wanna give us when we are on the giving end. Am I pursuing love? Am I pursuing love through the use of this gift? As we talked about last week, your spiritual gifts are given to you so that you can love more effectively. That's it. Are you pursuing love? Because Paul pointed out very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, you can be the prophet of all prophets. You can be a superstar stud prophet. And if you don't love, you are nothing. You are nothing. It is nothing. In fact, Paul equates it to where if I could just, I won't, Brian, slam his symbols over and over. That's what Paul equates prophecy minus love. So is what I am about to say motivated by love or am I wanting to prophesy out of spite or bitterness? Am I wanting, am I mad at someone and I just want the opportunity to spiritually mic drop them in the name of the Lord? If so, don't. Love or nothing. God has told us his plan for this gift. It's been given to you by God for his glory and for their good, for our good. A tool to help you love each other better, more effectively. Now, um, These questions are really helpful for testing us, ourselves, our hearts, our motives. But I don't want to leave us there because many times we are on the receiving end. And there may be times when you hear something and it's up to you now. Like I said, your job, not just mine, to test what you heard. To discern whether or not this was from the Lord. And so I want to give just a few questions to ask ourselves. First, does what was said contradict what God has already said? This is really basic. We have to start here, though. Does what was just said contradict Scripture? In other words, a word from the Lord will not contradict the word of the Lord. (laughs) It's really basic. But so subtly we hear this. Like, we'll hear, I'm picking on the guys today, but that's fine. Where, where we hear someone say, hey, God wants me to marry that girl. She's not a follower of Jesus, but she wants me to marry her. I can look at him. Brother, I love you. You heard wrong on that. And why? Because God has already revealed his will for you in that. 
Another example, God has told me that he doesn't want me involved in the local church right now. Well, I can confidently look you in the eye, say, brother, sister, that wasn't God. Why do I know that? Because God has already told you, revealed already what his will for you is. And it's not his will, it's not his message, it's not his truth to go back on what was already said. So does it contradict with what God has already said? If so, pump the brakes, radar's pinging, and know that God doesn't go back on his word. Second question, does it coincide with what God is doing in my life? Let me fill this one in with an example. Several years ago, there was a lady in uh, our church who would love to catch people and give them what she called a word of encouragement. And uh, honestly, this was basically little words of prophecy that she would kind of speak over you. And uh, I told you, I came from... I came from interesting background. I remember being the recipient of many of these. And I'll never forget, I, I felt, I was beginning to feel that God was doing something in me, calling me to prepare for myself for pastoral ministry. I was beginning to wrestle with the fact that I felt called to plant a church. This is several years ago. I, at this point, was her worship pastor. And um, the word that... The word got out to her that I was feeling the Lord leading me to preach. And I will never forget her catching me, staring at me, I mean, eye to eye with an intensity that is terrifying, and saying, the Lord said that you need to give up on this idea of preaching and you need to stick with singing. She said it so clearly, with such certainty and authority. But here's the deal. Her words just did not line up with the call of God on my life. Her words did not line up with the call of God that was being affirmed by so many people in my life that I loved and I trusted. The calling that was being affirmed by so many others I'll put it like this. This thus saith the Lord moment wasn't for me. It, it wasn't for me. So I bring this question up as does what was said come alongside of what God is, is doing in your life? Does it apply? Does it resonate with us? It's a simple and important question. Lastly, last question. This one is really important. Does it bring glory to God or the person? Does it bring glory to God or the person? Uh, again, we know that the gifts of the Spirit are given to us to glorify God. That is their purpose. And any person who is using this gift to build themselves up, to make much of themselves, church, radar pinging, we should be cautious. We should be careful. God told us he doesn't work like that. Any word from the Lord will bring glory to the Lord, not the prophet. Now, there are more questions, I am sure. Um, but I hope that this was helpful for you. Listen, I want to be really clear here with you, church. As we think about this, about prophecy, Paul has told us, the church needs more of this. 
The church should want more of this, and we do too. We want to see people in our church speaking God's truth, speaking God's word into each other's lives. We are a church who believes that God is, is leading and guiding us through his spirit. We believe this. We stand on this. We are a church who believes, we are a people who believes that God is stirring and leading us and we believe that he's directing us as his people. We believe this. We believe that our God is active and alive. That he has given us his word and that he has given to the church the gift of people who will boldly speak God's truth so that we are built up, so that we are made whole, so that we are strengthened, so that we are comforted, so that the church is edified. That is what we mean when we say, when we say prophecy. That is what, so call it what you want. Whatever you feel comfortable with, that is what is, Paul has in view here in this passage in church. I want more of that. We want more of that. I want to close today with the final verse, verse 5. Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So if you were to stop there, don't stop there. Um, we'll get to tongues next week, but, but um, you would miss it if you stopped here. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. And then I want you to get this. Here's the reason for that statement. So that the church may be built up. Why does Paul say this? What is the grand point? What is the motive? What is the reason for it all? What is it all about? Well, we've seen this on repeat since chapter 12, since we started looking at spiritual gifts. The purpose of your spiritual gifts is to build up the body. The purpose of your spiritual gifts is to build up the body. It is for the common good. Again, chapter 13 says, without love, all prophecy, as incredible as it may be, is nothing, gains nothing, is for nothing. Because the purpose of prophecy is to glorify God and to edify and to build up the church. Now, we're going to talk much more in detail about this next week, about tongues next week. Uh, what was going on in this church. It was chaos in this church. Um, but hear me, the gifts... The truth about spiritual gifts is that they are given to you so that you can love each other more effectively to build up. And so with that in mind, consider prophecy as we close together. Prophecy is proclaiming God's message for God's glory and for their good. There is no more effective tool for edification of God's people than the proclamation of God's word. So prophesy speak God's message to each other boldly. Build each other up in, in faith through God's word. Prophesy so that, as Paul says, the church may be built up. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who speaks and communicates. We thank you that you have not made a mistake in the way that you communicate. We thank you that we are given your word to stand on, to live on, to trust on, that we have your word. And I pray that you give us the ability, the gift to proclaim your word and to apply your word with a greater clarity and greater passion. That your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help us to stand on that and proclaim that to each other 
so that you are glorified, so that the church is built up. It's in your name we pray. Amen.